You're listening to Conversation Balloons, interviews with experts and friends about how the generations can help each other thrive. I'm your host, Leah Farish. Check out this episode. I am uh, welcoming the founder and CEO of Life Architects with Tammy Peterson today. She's in Dallas, but she helps people all over this country in designing their future. She has created a, um, an instrument called My Life Prototype, and uh, she helps students and seekers map their upcoming years. Her master's is in leadership, theology, and society from Regent College in Vancouver. That must have been tough conditions up there. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. It is. Well, we're delighted and excited to talk to you today because you have a breadth of knowledge about young people and about how to guide them. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. We want to know what you are seeing in the different age cohorts, what they're wanting for their futures, how they see themselves in it, what contributions they uniquely have, how they've changed over the last 30 years. So that will be a two-hour conversation, but <laughs> <laughs> give us a couple of, of your impressions. If you sure. Would. Yeah, we were tracking along pretty well until COVID hit, and um, Gen Z is the generation now that's in high school in the early years of college. So they're kind of the the coming of age generation. And we knew that they were going to be uh, a little risk averse. They really wanted uh, some solutions that were um, not like their millennial cousins, where the, the millennial cousins were passion seekers and they wanted to do everything and they went into debt for college and Gen Z really was not going to do that. They were ready to um, save money, work hard, kind of mm -hmm. find a dream that they wanted to do. And, and But it was all very pragmatic and practical. And then COVID hit. And so we, we had this generation that was already a little nervous and um, COVID just kind of made them get even more risk averse. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing uh, young people, especially college age young people, staying closer to home. Parents are going with them to college if they're visiting. Um, we've we've seen a huge uptick in community college um, enrollment and mm -hmm. also um, online enrollment. So we're seeing some interesting things. And that's, higher ed has been looking toward 2025 because it's going to be the smallest senior class in recent history in America. Mm. And so uh, everything shifted because of COVID. They were ramping up international study students coming in and domestic students were decreasing. And so that generation has a lot of opportunity because of COVID. The colleges are really seeking them. They're doing a lot of new programs. But that generation uh, may not be as adventurous as the older cousins and brothers and sisters that they have in the millennial group. So that's the, the primary thing. Um, we're seeing because Gen X are primarily their parents, uh, Gen, Gen X was all, X is... Gen X are the people that were born between 1965 and 1980. Mm -hmm. 
And so uh, Gen Z were born 1997 to 2012. It's interesting um, because those Gen X parents were the first latchkey kids. So they were the ones whose parents, both parents were working for the first time. So they came home from school by themselves and they were a little risk. They were a little risk averse because of that. They they knew stranger danger. They they actually were the first group to be a little more uncomfortable being alone, even though they had more freedom. So, um, so we're seeing those two generations together being less adventurous. Um, mm-hmm. Now, that's a generational thing, and there's individuals in each generation that have, that love adventure. So you mm-hmm. may maybe one of those. <laughs> Does risk averse always manifests itself in not wanting to go off to college at a distance, or does it also manifest itself in wanting to go to college and delay the uh, responsibility and challenge of a job in the real world, or or maybe uh, staying in college for a master's rather than get out and slug it out? In the work environment. Yeah. Well, the great resignation is they're watching it. They're all in college or in high school watching what just happened with mainly millennials walking off the job in America. And so that's been a very interesting change for them. They mm-hmm. they were going to go to college and get a job right out of college. In fact, um, some of those jobs that were high paying with four, four-year degrees, like engineers, were very appealing to, um, to Gen Zers. They, I think it manifests itself also in um, not having serious dating relationships or any dating relationships. It's very interesting what we're looking at around dating, but also in education. So um, so I, th- I think, yes, delaying a little bit, uh, going to grad school, possibly if they can do it without debt. Uh, I do think higher ed is... Um, going to change some things because of Gen Z, because they are they they don't want to mortgage their future. Uh, the the big opportunities that I see for making a living now are in the trades, and uh, people in that age cohort are not necessarily led in that direction. Do you ever have occasion to see a student, uh, a young person who? You see them not um, so much as a student, but perhaps entering training for, you know, aviation or services of some kind. Mm-hmm. Yes, I am seeing an uptick in aviation, although that is primarily in higher ed right now or the military. So they're still training pilots in the military, of course. So we're seeing aviation for sure. Had a couple um, young people last week that were talking aviation, and but they're headed off to higher ed to do it, which is an expensive way to do it. But um, but I think the colleges are making way for them. When it comes to trades, we are seeing... Um, a huge interest, especially with young men, around the idea of that they they kind of have the question: I should know how to do all this. Like I should know how to fix a car or you know hammer a nail, <laughs> all yeah. those things that those hands-on jobs. And it's very expensive to hire people to do those things. So we're seeing millennials, um, you know, taking little Saturday projects to Home Depot and learning how to do stuff. So I do think we're trending that way. I also see um, young men in particular, but young women too, um, wanting a shorter entry ramp 
to a job. Mm-hmm. And those jobs, particularly like welders, uh, electricians, plumbing. <laughs> plumbing, yes, yes, we had to do plumbing last year at our house. And it was yeah. such a huge job and very expensive. And they get Heat paid in air. Well oh my that. gosh. And so I do think we're seeing um, more hesitation. Now, part of the struggle is um, trying to think of the generation as a whole, which I would say middle class, upper middle class, we're still seeing um, everybody wanting to go to college. That dream still is there. Mm-hmm. And that would be the biggest shift is that I'm now seeing some of those clients who are saying, you know, what can I do with two years investment and how can I get to a good living where I can um, do something with my hands. One of the biggest statements I get from Gen Z is I don't want to sit in front of a computer my whole life. Wow. And yeah, it's, and frankly, that's uh, a lot of what the highest paying jobs are. Right. And sitting in front of a computer as an analyst or um, something like that. And so, so that's been interesting having conversations because what we do is talk about vocation. What are you created to do? And so when you start asking young people and their families what they see in in themselves and in their um, children, parents say things like, well, you know, they've always loved to dig in the dirt or they loved Legos. And, you know, then they say, well, I love Minecraft. And I'm thinking, okay, so here's someone who's very 3D oriented and hands-on oriented. So we get to the end and they're like, well, what jobs can I do? And really most of those hands-on jobs are in the, in the trades. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so sometimes that's a big shock, <laughs> you know, parents are like, oh, hmm, okay. Um, you know, dad's an executive at IBM and mom's a, a nurse practitioner or something. Uh-huh. And they're like, oh, I don't even know how to, we have to think about this one a little bit. And so I do see that shift. I mm-hmm. um, And I think it's going to be very helpful for our society to be more local. I think that's one of the other things that COVID did for us as we became, began to understand our local society became more important. And what about medicine? It seems like it has so many more entry points than it used to. Yeah, medicine's a great example of somewhere, so a phlebotomist, the person who takes blood when you go give blood or um, at the doctor, they only need a high school education, a diploma. They can go in, get trained as a phlebotomist, and it's a low entry for most people to start there. And there are actually ramps out of that, uh, especially if you work for a doctor's office. The doctor's Mm -hmm. office is typically willing to invest in a person to get the next level up. And so you end up, you know, um, doing the next level up, which may ta- take 18 months to get training to um, to do run another machine in the office, basically, is how it works. Um, and um, and if you're, you're interested and you're willing to be a lifelong learner, you can get all the way to a, a pretty high paying job in the medical field by just doing the next step. And it very often employers will pay for that. And we're seeing that more and more with Gen Z as employers. In fact, I just read something about Google and um, Facebook and Microsoft. They're looking at promising high schoolers now. They're trying to get them in high school to commit. And they'll, they'll just take them right out of high school and train them how to do what they need them to do. No college needed. That's a hopeful sign. Um 
how do you discern between what parents want for their kids and what the student, him or herself, really <laughs> wants and is has an impetus for? Yeah. I think that's one of the hardest questions and one of the ones we work on a lot is trying to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents when it comes to understanding each other. And so a lot of the intergenerational work we do is with families, uh, just communication. <laughs> so we've become communication mm -hmm. experts in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. asking good probing questions. And then we work individually with the parents and individually with the students, just having different conversations. And um, a lot of miscommunication is based on fear from both sides. So parents mm -hmm. are fearful that their student won't be able to feed himself when he gets out of whatever he's going to be training in. And the student is might be fearful that he can't do the thing that the parent wants him to do. You know, that if he hasn't, if he hasn't been um, a great academic student, he may fear that he's just going to fail and that'll be a complicated thing. So we do a lot of chatting about um, it together. We ask, we, we do what's called a family genome and we just um, talk about what have the people in your family done throughout the generations. And we talk about how, you know, um, two or three generations ago, that would have been your path. And now it's not. You can pretty much choose whatever you'd like to do. And that makes it even harder. And so sometimes taking an assessment, that's an ability assessment. We use the Highlands Ability Battery for that. That helps parents have a realistic view of the, the student's natural abilities. And once you get to natural abilities, they're fairly objective. You do just work samples and they kind of show what they can do. Um, parents begin to say, oh, I see. And it may be that Unfortunately, sometimes it, it means that the student's been uh, not working up to their potential and they find, the parents find out that they actually can see in 3D and they, they, could, uh, they have great hearing, great um, learning channels, and they're mm -hmm. a C student, and that becomes a little more complicated in a different direction. Yeah, I've found that people are perfectionists in the areas where they have gifts. They are slobs in the areas <laughs> where they don't have that's a great way to put it. I have never thought of it that way. We all um, have these areas of yeah. mediocrity. You know, uh, that movie Mozart? Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and uh, I, we, I doubt that there's this, this element was true about him, but um, in the movie, Mozart has this ridiculous, goofy laugh. Yes. <laughs> and uh, it's like his area of mediocrity, his uh -huh. area of childlikeness and not picking up that uh, this is not even appropriate and and yet he had these areas of genius but we all have areas of mediocrity that are just roughed in and that we should not be working for money in those areas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that phrase roughed in. That's a great <laughs> phrase to think about because um yeah, you don't want to have to go back and get those like polished up because they take so much energy. So that's a great way to think about it. And frankly, um, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to work in the areas that you are gifted in. It's not always the way it is. True. Uh, and so, so when you get to do that, that's just a real blessing to be able to 
say, oh, yes, I do this well, and I, I also can do this and get paid for it, which is great. And that's not always the case, unfortunately. Right. Yeah, I've, I was hearing uh, Missy Wallace on uh, <clears throat> the Gospel Coalition and also Dave Evans talking about how asking a young person, what's your passion? That's what, just follow your passion. That That's really not the most productive question. And you talked about reflection and uh, Dave Evans says you have to have some data yeah. in order to reflect. And yep. and you mentioned the key thing, one of the key elements, the data that you have to reflect on is the feedback you're getting. Right. And um, I think that was a real weakness when I was just out of college. I was not really open to the feedback I was getting. People would say, you're not doing this very well. And I'd go, in my mind, <laughs> you're, you're stupid. You're a jerk. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, they did know what they were talking yeah. about. I just didn't want to hear it. I, I know of a, of a youngster who took, I believe it was the SAT, mm-hmm. and um, there was an optional section where you could um, get feedback on what your score indicates about your aptitudes Ooh. and possible careers that you might be suited for. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to either be an entrepreneur and go into business like um, kind of his mentor, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, or he felt maybe called to be a missionary oh. mm-hmm. or a pastor, a very spiritual mm-hmm. kid. And uh, another young lady I know of who took standardized testing and didn't get any guidance, uh, you know, from anywhere in her educational process on her aspiration to be a fantastic homemaker. Oh, yeah. And mother. And uh, there's just this void Mm -hmm. for people like that. So the boy, uh, when he got his scores back, there were six jobs or professions he was encouraged to go into five of the six were to work for the government wow and uh it was like social worker Mm -hmm. um crisis intervention Mm. person Mm -hmm. so uh, public school teacher and Mm -hmm. and it kind of made me wonder wait wait a minute first of all this is nothing that he has been attracted to Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I don't see those, and I had I had been in higher ed and in a, a department head in a, a high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't that didn't seem right, and it it did seem like they were actually trying to lead him toward being a government employee, mm-hmm. and I wondered if there was a little bit of an agenda. <laughs> behind that. And I have not heard in other years that that uh, career guidance option has been included yeah. in standardized testing. And it just mm-hmm. made me wonder if a lot of people, I wrote to the, it's so long ago, but I wrote to them and said, it just seems, you know, what's going on here? <laughs> a little fishy. Let's, <laughs> let's seek that out. Yeah. I, um, so I do think, I, I mean, I had a young woman come to my office when I was a counselor and she said, I really just want to be a wife and mother. Where do I go to do that? And I said, honey, you go to college. <laughs> like, like at that point, it was like 2000, I don't know, 2006. And I was at a college prep school and um, like the social 
fabric was torn enough in our culture that that we just don't have opportunities to meet people um, at that age that um, that would be sort of moving in the same direction as a person who really wanted to establish a home in a certain way. Um, so I just said, you know, you go to college, you're a good student, go to college and you'll meet a lot of people. And part of meeting a lot of people is, um, you know, the opportunity to get married and things like that. And then, you know, take a, um, take a degree that will help you being, being a good wife and mother and, and uh, we are seeing an uptick in home in uh, home ec classes, even in college. We're seeing some colleges teaching kids how to cook and um, mm-hmm. some personal finance stuff. And so, so I think we're I think we're coming back around to oh yeah, if everybody's working, then how are we living? And those questions are becoming more important, especially for Gen Z, because they want um, stability. They mm-hmm. really want stability. And so they're actually thinking about those things. So I, I, the millennials kind of backed into it. They're the, the group um, just before Gen Z. And they backed into it by saying, uh, wow, this is all life is. I go to work all day and I come home and I, you know, pick up a burger on the way home and, and I'm gaining weight and I, I don't like the way my life is. And so they kind of backed in going, no, I think I should be exercising more and e- eating better. And um, and so they started creating their lifestyle changes a little later in their life, like late 20s. Um, the youngest millennials are 26 right now. So, um, so that group the younger group is a little healthier than the older group was. And so um, so they're backing into being foodies. So my millennial clients are all, you know, they love good food and um, just like to have have time with friends. And they, they actually enjoy being in each other's homes. And, um, and so I, I think we've kind of come full swing um, on the pendulum where we were so work-oriented for so long. Uh, baby boomers who were building, obviously, uh, mm-hmm. building the the country back after the wars, and then um, and then Gen X, who was they were the first two family or two income families um, where it was just normal. They're in their forties and fifties now, and mm-hmm. so um, so they um, they just had a lot of they they had everything shifted under Gen X's feet. I have great compassion. I'm a boomer, but. I have great compassion for Gen X because everything shifted. Higher ed shifted. Um, you know, they kind of went through um, all the wars. You know, it was just lots of things going on in the late 20th century that Gen X had to live through. And um, and lots of things shifted under their feet. And so... Um, Technology, yeah, personal devices, 9-11. Yes, absolutely. And so those are the kind of things that are really impacting these generations now. In -hmm. fact, uh, Gen Z's generational dates, 1997 and 2012, are actually milestones in technology. So 1997 was when the internet became ubiquitous. We could get online. Mm -hmm. You've got mail. Um, In 1997, pretty easily. And then 2012 is when the smartphone became ubiquitous. And so, um, so a whole generation, you would think 9-11 or something like that would be the markers. And they are, they're markers, they influence the generation. But generational research count the big shift as that 1997, um, when the internet really changed the way we did everything. Uh-huh. 
And so, yeah, so we're seeing millennials and Gen Z really working through what does technology, what does a life filled with technology look like and how can I live in a healthy way and in the way I'd like to live um, while I'm really being kind of pushed around. (laughs) A lot of them really feel that way, being pushed around by their smartphone. You know, they have to do this and they've set up They've set up things to tell them when to do stuff, and they get pushed around by it. You had asked about healthcare. You know, we're we're seeing some some good reasons um, to go into healthcare. Like I think Gen Z has come around to the fact that uh, helping people is very important, and creating community and health um, is very important. And the millennials are doing that too. You know, a lot of those the millennials went off and did their stint in really high paying jobs, and now they're like cranberry farmers or something. Some of of the clients that I've been talking to, they're like, I just want to farm somewhere. I'm like, oh, that's good. Farming's good. Got a little Wendell Berry going on there. Uh, (laughs) We we like Going from the kind of disembodied to the embodied lifestyle and certainly a balanced lifestyle where you're in touch with the rest of reality besides your psyche and the screen. <laughs> That's right. And I do think that that has become a very important thing. And um, while I don't know that, um, well, we saw it in tech first. So the tech parents in Silicon Valley stopped giving their kids technology. Um, and so in education, it was interesting because um, we thought that disadvantaged kids were going to be left behind because they didn't have technology. And now I think we're sort of shifting our thinking. And of course, COVID affected that. Everybody had technology and we were definitely seeing a whole year lost for lots of reasons. I met a, I met a man who runs a cotton gin north of Waco um, and we were chatting about, uh, he's an engineer, he's an engineering major, um, but he was telling me that, you know, he'd love to get some young people in there to show them how to do stuff. And, and it's very hands-on. It's seasonal, you know, and cotton comes in and you do it all. You do all your ginning. And then um, there's other stuff you do in the off season. Um, and I, I just think that seasonal living too helps people be healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, um, not. Yeah. Not- I've found out. Um, um- my husband and I are interested in international folk dance and we have Ooh. relatives who are, great big into square dancing and uh, it's really sad that especially with international folk dancing these are dances that some of them have been done for you know 500 800 years and they're dying out because everyone who attends these dances is shall we say over (laughs) 50 seasoned (laughs) there there might be a couple of teenagers or you know midlife people but not enough to literally hold that circle together and uh, it's it's such a beautiful way to just celebrate life and experience music and uh, learn about other cultures oh my goodness and uh for such a, for generations that have been so interested in diversity mm-hmm. and cultural differences to see no one taking an interest in these dances is i just thank god there are at least going to be videos of them you know yeah. because that may be the only way they're preserved i yeah. think the arts are doing pretty well and you know dance and ballet and things like that are seeming to still 
attract young people and mm-hmm. and that's wonderful. What are you seeing in the arts? Well, it's interesting um, what you were talking about, about folk dancing. I, I really see that um, generational relation, those intergenerational relationships becoming very important for that. Um, and of course, the arts are, I have two artsy kids. I have a son who's a video game designer and my daughter's a voice actress. So um, so we're all the arts. My husband sings in a big barbershop chorus. And so we're all artsy over here. Um, and I I think the I have two millennial kids, and so the millennials were very interested in doing something that they were motivated to do and passionate about, and so they were willing to kind of work through what what can I do to get there, um, and that they became a little disillusioned, many of them, because uh, there just aren't that many viable jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think one of the things that technology has helped us with is um, some of the influencer jobs or the YouTube sensations, like. Uh, you know, we, we have a um, two violinists from Australia that we love, two set violin, and they played their violins in the symphonies. And then they started doing this sort of comedy, classical music instruction kind of video blog. Mm-hmm. And they have millions of people watching them. And so they have sponsors and they make money doing it. So I do think there's more opportunity for the arts. There's way more opportunity to express the arts because of the internet. You've Mm -hmm. written a song, you can put it out there. And of course, we all know lots of different stories about people that put a video out and they're like, yeah, they're now the newest sensation that everyone's Mm -hmm. listening to. And then there's thousands of other people that have done it and people are like, you should not be doing this. (laughs) (laughs) And if you can't carry a tune, then that's a constraint for being a singer, I think. (laughs) And so (laughs) you never know. Let me go back to what you mentioned in passing about you're not seeing um, kids dating very much. Do you think that that the failure to date is going to uh, impede their ability to found a family? Are they just not oriented in education or in their own families to think in those terms? Or are they trying to just do things sequentially and first situate themselves? Yeah, I think financially. Yeah, I think all those things are true. I think uh, depending on the on the young person I'm talking to, they have lots of different reasons for it. Uh, one of the one of the studies that um, generational researchers have really sort of gone, oh no, what's happening here? Uh, came out in a book by Jean Twenge. Um, it's called iGen. Uh, why today's super connected kids are growing up less rebellious, more tolerant, less happy, and completely unprepared for adulthood. And what that means for the rest of us. I was just reading that last night. <laughs> yeah. So that book particularly has some startling factors. And it was 2012. So so a lot of the researchers are pointing to um, uh, everything changing in 2012 when the smartphone became ubiquitous. And so, so I, I think we're just in a very uh, dynamic change in our culture. I, mm-hmm. I think... Um, I think uh, social media has created some fear and anxiety for young people to take risk, even in relationships. And I just think about middle school for me, you know, you drop your your tray of food on the floor in the cafeteria, everyone laughs and it's forgotten in a few weeks. And now it's on social media or some other site forever. And so, so living has become very complicated for young people. And um, and I, I think it's a family thing. I think families, um, I think 
parents of, uh, for my observation, um, of course, it's a small pool, but parents of millennials uh, focus a lot on work, you know, get your work life in order, go to college, don't, you know, and so they were sort of praying, please don't get married before you get out of college. Um, mm-hmm. Now they're just now, you know, some of those millennials are 30 and not married and they're like, please bring someone to marry my child. <laughs> and so I think, I think some of that is true. I think that uh, the, they want relationships, they want good friendships, um, and they want romantic relationships, but our society is just not set up for it. So they, uh, one, one example, when you were talking about dancing, um, I, I recommend that all my young friends go to weddings. Like, listen, here's a a whole group of people your age who are, Mm -hmm. you know, at a place that, you know, you have connections, you have social connections with them. And so you can sit across the table at them across from them and get to know them without any pressure at all. You don't have to go anywhere particular and, look for people. Here they are. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think creating the older generations, creating more and more spaces for that, um, walkable spaces in cities, like there's a city ecology that's going on here as well. And so when you get in a car in your garage and drive out and you don't talk to any of your neighbors and you don't know who they are, mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of stuff that just has shifted. If I were going to say this is the one thing parents need to do is you need to continue to listen to your children. They don't need so much advice as they need somewhere they know that they can say stuff and you'll just go, well, I love you anyway, honey. I mean, literally. Mm-hmm. And I love you. And I want to know what you're thinking. <laughs> uh, the kind of the opposite extreme. I just heard a story yesterday that blew my mind. A friend of mine was telling me that when she and her friend were in, I'll call her the friend Jane. So they were in high school together. Jane was smart, but not a diligent student. And Jane, it was back in the years when the hard copy report cards were mailed to the oh, home. Mm-hmm. And so my friend and Jane would uh, intercept the mail. Oh. And they would change the report card from an F to a B. Oh, oh, that's the easiest way to do it. (laughs) And then after uh, several months, at the end of the junior year, Jane got a letter. Her parents were sent a letter that said, Jane has to repeat junior year wow wow and jane intercepted that letter too. oh no <laughs> <laughs> wow well here's a clever so kid I guess what she did long... she oh, wow. To wow. through junior year again and her parents thought she was a senior <laughs> <laughs> wow so time for graduation <laughs> And she wasn't ordering a cap and gown. Oh, I don't even understand how that ended. How did it? How, wow. There was a meltdown in the family. I'm but sure. She did eventually graduate and didn't do well in college and finally grew up, got a got a great job working for in an office and just worked there for like 50 years. And wow. Did great. Wow. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. That cleverness that comes in. That's one of the, the same thing that I, that I look at young people and just kind of go, you're so clever. Use it for good. Use your power for good, <laughs> you know, because wow, they can be clever and they can figure out ways to, to scam the system. And of course, um, 
because uh, there's sort of a scarcity mentality with Gen Z, like they don't know that they're going to have the job they want or the career they want or go to the college they want. There's all of this anxiety around that. And they're just on this treadmill trying to earn the things that they really, really want. Um, so there's rampant cheating. Like it's, it's, it's not, and you know, because uh, cheating isn't necessarily something that uh, is right or wrong to some people. Like that's, that's, kind of how they think. Mm -hmm. um, when you read the statistics about the way the younger generations think about things, it's not as black and white as it would have been in earlier generations. And so, um, so yeah, if they can, they, they're just, they're problem solving when they're cheating. <laughs> like I've had, <laughs> I've had kids say, yeah, I didn't study, but uh, the, I solved that problem by getting the answers from my friend. And I was like, Okay, so we have a word for that. Uh, it's called stealing. <laughs> it's called, yes, it's called stealing and lying, actually. Yes, yes. And so the, back to what you were saying about the character issues. And and I do see quite a few schools in education, particularly charter schools and some of the private schools for sure, um, and some mainline public schools have really discovered that if we don't, if we actually don't think about character at all, then we make a pretty bad space for young people to inhabit. And so if everybody's lying to each other, everybody's trying to um, get ahead of everybody, it it creates that anxiety and depression. And so, um, you know, some of the, the suicide rates that we're seeing and attempted suicide things are really based on, you know, I don't see any future for myself. And mm. everyone tells me I'm terrible at everything. And if all they're doing is education and they're not very good at it, I've sat across, literally sat across from kids who I, looking at their results from um, assessments and just said, I'm thinking in, in my head, wow, if, if, these assess if this report is correct, this kid has a really hard time in school. And so I'll say, tell me about school. And I've had various responses. And the one that breaks your heart the most is, well, school is really, really hard for me. Um, and so I don't do anything else. I just do school and I come home and I do homework for six hours and I get C's, but I'm passing. And that, I mean, I just kind of go, that breaks my heart um, because uh, that's, you're in, you're in a place where you're, the way you're created doesn't fit the way we've created the world for you. Mm -hmm. And so trying to figure out uh, other ways to, other pathways for young people to figure out how they do it. And, and we're seeing some of that in education where um, narrative grading has been one of the things that I've seen that's new. You know, people, that's well, old, actually. <laughs> that's what mm -hmm. they do at Oxford, kind of. Um, you know, they, the student does something and they, talk about what they know and they have another conversation and they, they, they get to a place where they have the knowledge they need to pass the class and get a grade. And so the narrative grading is, yes, it took him this long, but this is how, this is what I see he, him knowing. And he's, he articulated the important content. And mm -hmm. so he gets a pass. And so a lot of those narrative grading schools are doing pass fail. So it's, it's interesting to kind of be in education in this dynamic time because we're all trying to keep kids alive and healthy. Like it, yes. it really has become uh, tragically true that we're, we're trying to figure out a way to help kids flourish. And um, it just seems like a lot of the odds are against them with technology and just a lot of what's going on in our culture. So mm -hmm. 
I got to speak to some National Honor Society students a while back. And, of course, these are the top dogs academically. They're leaders and uh, gifted kids. And and I said, uh, I I talked about the subject they asked me to talk about. And then I said, "Um, you know, I've read that now 50% of all 18 to 25-year-olds are reporting mental health problems or have been observed with mental health problems. That means even if you aren't experiencing that, 50% of the people around you Mm -hmm. are um, dealing with rage, paranoia, Mm -hmm. suicidal thoughts, um, addiction to porn, all kinds of things. And this is the pool of people from which you have to find people to work together on projects. You have to find yeah. a mate. You have to, uh, you know, go places with. Mm-hmm. And and uh, even if you are experiencing some kind of problem like this, I have something to tell you. You're not crazy. <laughs> and they started crying. Oh, yeah, yeah. They just... This is a crazy-making environment. And I said, this, you're just living in a very strange time in history. Yeah, yeah, they are. And uh, so are all the people around you. And you're leaders, you have gifts, and you can be, you can bring light. You really, you really can. Yeah. So um, I I was surprised myself that I said it, but I was very surprised at their reaction. Yeah. And there were moms sitting in the back. And they start crying, yeah. too. Yeah. It's, it's a heartbreaking time. It is. Um, and a time when students can't trust each other very yes. much. Yeah. We yeah. have lost so much trust in this society. Yeah, they really have. And the the healthy, really and truly, the healthy choices, which it's sad to say it this way, but they end up being cynics or stoics. So they're just cynical about the way life is, um, or they're stoic, you know, nothing's going to hurt me. I, I can, I can take those punches and not get hurt. And I can just, um, you know, stand up and be who I need to be without emotion. And, and I do think it's, um, it's certainly not flourishing to stand in one of those two places to stand as a stoic or to stand as a cynic. Um, but it, but the, it, it is the natural um, response to the way culture is moving right now, where nothing is certain and everyone is out for their own good and no one uh, makes the path easier for you. You have to fight your way through it. And um, and it's, you know, there's just a lot going on. And so young people choosing one of those two paths over, you know, total mental breakdown. Um, I mean, that's a lot of how they're making it. And I think healthy understanding of who they are and what they were created, you know, why they're here, what they're created to do. I think that's our solution to that struggle is like, listen, there's more to life than you just saying, well, I just have to, you know, suck it up and stay on the, on the hamster wheel and mm-hmm. get the, you know, the prize at the end of my life. And I just am like, yeah, no, I, I think there's actually some more stuff that you could do and and some reflection and and healthy conversation 
will help you. And then really prototyping some options, trying to figure out if I did this, what would that look like? And if I did this, what would that look like? Because what you do in life grows out of who you are. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so really working on who you are, you know, being healthy and, and creating good friendships, learning how to be a friend. Like I, I've had many young people just go, I don't, I don't even know how to be a friend. And frankly, I'll tell you in the adult generations that I work with as a, as just a coach, a life coach, they're asking the same questions. Like I don't have friends. They're saying, you know, I have, I have nobody that I go do stuff with. And if some horrible thing happened to me in the middle of the night, I don't know who I would call. And, um, and they just, it's, it's heartbreaking to say, well, you know, that might, you might want to spend some time on that. <laughs> you might want to spend some time thinking, how can I be a better friend? And who would I like to be friends with? Look around and see who's there and, and sort of sharpen those skills. But it's easier to just work. It's easier to just go to school, easier to, you know, just keep my head down and not risk check it all. Check the boxes. Yeah, check the boxes. And I, you know, I, I tell people all the time, there's all sorts of kinds of achievement and early achievement is only one of them. So oh, I like that. Yeah. And so if you want to start something, begin it, no matter what age you are. Begin again, learn again, be a lifelong learner and risk being with people, learning with people, caring about people and um, and spend some time reflecting on why you're here because you're here and, and we need you. And I think that's the big message to young people is, you know, we need you in all your fullness to show up. I love that. Well, I thank you so much for sharing this hopeful viewpoint with us and uh carry on helping guide people, Tammy, and uh, tell people where they can find you. Okay. Well, we're on the web at lifearchitectscoaching.com, and there's an S on the end of architects. Um, And so you can find me um, at Tammy at lifearchitectscoaching.com, and we've got a blog and uh, all sorts of things on our web, on our website for you to listen to and think about and read. Yeah. And so, so Tammy Peterson, T-A-M-I. Yes. Peterson. Yes. Thank you so much. And uh, we hope to hear many good things from all the wonderful people that you're propelling on their way. Well, thank you. It's a, it's a lot of fun. So thanks for having me on. We thank you for listening as well. And we hope that you will rate and review us. Subscribe on all your favorite platforms. My thanks go to Caleb, my producer. And I hope you listen in next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to Conversation Balloons. Look for more episodes and information at leahfarish.com. That's L-E-A-H-F-A-R-I-S-H.com. And follow me on Facebook and Instagram.